you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, you'd like a free one, we would love to uh, gift one to you. Uh, and and I, should, I, I want to start this way. Um, every, every time we gather together as a body, which is what a Sunday morning experience is, uh, it's a, a body of people gathering together, we uh, strive in our desire to be very singular. And uh, that desire is simply this, that we long to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, not that not that he is it's impossible to see him clearly, uh, but that regardless of where we're at, we would continually strive to see even more facets of just how incredible he is, and and that's why we're committed to uh, when we have opportunities like this to open up his word and uh, and see him together. That's why we're committed to singing words that that draw our affections. To Jesus, I don't know if it's every time for you or, or just sometimes, but but I know in my own heart there are times that the words draw me into a, a sense of worship when I would otherwise have not been drawn, uh, almost not kicking and screaming, but very reluctantly uh, entering into the presence of God, and uh, and that's why we're we're so committed uh, when uh, we have time with our kids that. Uh, that we understand that our desire isn't to just give them a time where they're entertained, uh, but it, to give them a time where they can understand who Jesus is for them. Uh, that they would understand that God has a role for them to play. We don't just put them back there and say, I hope you have a good time so you'll force your parents to come back. Uh, we believe that the time that we have with them is incredibly special. And, and it's our great desire that that ultimately we would play a part in the lives of people uh, that, that God is placing in our path, that, that we would help those who are far from God find their life in Christ. Uh, we believe that's the call of not every church. We believe that's the call of every person of God. Uh, that, and we say it this way, that you can't outsource your call to help people find life in Christ to me. Uh, you can't just say, hey, just come to church, and my pastor is a, is a pretty good guy at closing the deal. Uh, it doesn't operate uh, in that way. And, and so we want to be a place, we want to be part of a body um, where that's our desire, that we would help those uh, who are far from God find life in Christ, and then that we would equally help those who have found their life in Christ become even stronger for the sake of the gospel. And, and so every time we gather, we, we hope that we would understand as a, uh, as a biblical community that uh, we each have a very real and a very um, and an ever present need to draw our attentions and to deepen our affections uh, in cherishing Christ. Uh, that He really would be the sweetest name on our lips. Uh, that He really would be the beat of our hearts. That we would respond to Him uh, in ways that are worthy of Him. And and if our attention as a church, or even just as a, as a body of believers, uh, if our, our attention is to uh, grow this place without that desire, then we're no more effective than just a bar or a club uh, whose intent is just to have big crowds. And, and so where we arrived this morning uh, is, is really, I think it's helpful, uh, but, but I think what it does is this will draw out this desire for our attention. 
that Peter is going to answer a question that comes from Jesus. And, and it's a question that every person here, every person we will ever know, every person we have ever heard about, they have to have an answer for this singular question. And, and I, I believe this question rests over mankind as a means to, to open a path uh, to help them find a life of, of power and purpose and peace. And so, so when, when I say this is a big-time question, I'm telling you this is the most important question any person will ever ask, ever. Everything else becomes very secondary to this ultimate question. And if you're willing this morning uh, to risk with me, uh, and if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you're going... Uh, to explore the deepest question of your heart. And this is what I've been praying for this week, is that those of you who um, have an answer for this, uh, that you would see just the incredible beauty of it. And then those of you who have never, ever, ever asked this question of yourself, I pray that today would be a brand new day for you. Uh, That as you experience this, you would hear... God speak to you in an incredibly powerful way. And so, so let's pray, and then if I haven't built that up enough, right? Nobody cheat ahead while I'm praying, okay? Nobody read the passage and be like, I know the question, all right? So here we go. Father, we come to you, and we are just so very thankful that as we just got to sing those words, just as I am, I come, that, that Father, that you see that, and because of Jesus, we, we get to enter into this relationship with you, and I pray that, that we would come um, just as we are today, that we would be very mindful of your Spirit, and that we would listen to Him, that we would come in with, with zero desire of defense, zero desire of justifications, but that we would just come as we are to you. And Father, we pray as we do that this morning, we would see Jesus more clearly. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. The, all right this seems like a pretty safe place to say what I'm about to say. Uh, if it's not, then we probably should like readjust and reconsider what's going on here. Um, but, but I believe that Jesus is the heart of Christianity. And I know you're like, dude, that's a cutting-edge statement, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's just a big part of it. I believe he's the part that holds all of it together. Okay, That's why Jesus is so vital to our lives. He holds the heart of Christianity together. That, that our religion, our, our designation as Christians is simply this declaration that we are Christ-like, that, that we walk in faith, we walk in the footsteps of Jesus in faith, that He is who He says He is, He's done what He has says He will do, has done for us, and that because we believe in Him, our actions and our desires reflect Him and not necessarily ourselves. And so, so but, it, but it's not, also it's not lost on me that there's great confusion even in our churches as to what that should look like. And, and I think this is why Matthew 16, I told you last week, Matthew 16 is, is pivotal. It is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible because it helps clarify some things for us that we would otherwise be very confused about. And, 
You know, in those first 12 verses where we traveled last week, we saw Jesus challenge us that he, he says, listen, I want to draw your attention away from these very temporal matters. And I want you to set your eyes and your heart and your focus on on eternal realities. OK, and then next week we're going to we're going to chew on the last eight verses of uh, this chapter where Jesus will challenge us in, in how we're to live daily as people who pursue him and are rescued by him. He's going to say some things that can be um, really just rather difficult if, if our desire is for us um, and everything is about us. And so uh, that's just a spoiler alert. So if you chicken out next week, we know why you're not here. And, but, but what we're going to do, but the, these eight verses before us this morning, uh, they are pivotal. They, they are key in how we can focus our attentions on, on, on heavenward and pursue Jesus so that the world can see His great effect in our lives. That, that what we're going to do is we're going to ask one question that, again, is applicable for, for every person in this room. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter if you, this is the very first time you've ever had any interaction with Christians uh, it doesn't matter if this is the first time you've ever walked into the, the doors of a church. And it really doesn't even matter if you've, if you've been in the church since you were in diapers uh, or currently in diapers as an adult. No judgment here, okay? Um, no judgment, but we will have, have jokes about it, okay? Um, so so it, does, it doesn't matter if you have lived your entire life as this model citizen or if you have these moments where you wear the scars of regret in your life. Every person has to and will have an answer for, for the question that is asked. And, and the answer determines more than just your footsteps. It determines your very life. And so, so here we go in Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 13 is where we're going to start. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, okay, so he's back into Gentile land, uh, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, if you've been traveling, uh, you've heard Jesus refer to himself a few times now as the Son of Man. So he looks at him and he says, who are people saying that I am? And they said, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And now, now let's, let's remember here from 14, 15, 16, what we are exploring is this shift uh, where Jesus is spending very deliberate time speaking to his disciples and he's growing their faith. He's helping them understand who he is more so that they're better equipped to handle what is about to happen in their lives. And, and so as he grows his faith, he challenges the way that people see him. And I think this is, this is really helpful to us because uh, we see in them, in the disciples, this process of growth instead of this immediate change where all of a sudden, uh, and I was, Keith and I were talking about this the other day, that, that one of the beautiful things we see in the disciples is that from the moment they dropped their nets and they started to follow Jesus, they weren't super spiritual giants. Because that becomes very intimidating, right? And that's not the way it works. And what we are getting to see is from the time they've dropped their nets and start to walk with Jesus, 
they're on this process of growing. Uh, they're in this process of getting stronger and to have things seen. So we can cut them some slack in these moments when they look like just complete idiots. Uh, when you're like, well, why can't you see this? Uh, because we realize in our own lives, this is the way that God treats us. That, that we don't all of a sudden say, Jesus, I, pray, I confess my sin. I ask that you would come into my heart, that you would be my Lord and Savior. And then all of a sudden, poof, you're like super spiritual, uh, you know, snooty Christian guy, right? So it's all part of this process. And this is, this is what we're getting to see played out. And Jesus looks at them in this moment and he says, he asks a lesser question so that he can set up the deeper one. Uh, and he comes in and he says, who do people say that I am, and their, their answer is, is really assorted, uh, and it's great. I mean, they say, you know, some of you, some of them look and they say, you're John the Baptist, and they loved John the Baptist. Uh, some of them say, you're, you're Elijah, uh, because there's, there's references in the Old Testament about Elijah never dying. In fact, he has one of the greatest exits of all time uh, in the Bible. A chariot of fire picks him up and takes him home, okay? Uh, that is incredible. Incredibly cool. If, if you don't think it is, then man, you're not reading the Bible the right way. All right? Uh, and so, and then, then others say you're Jeremiah. And Jeremiah uh, is one of the, the most revered prophets of the Old Testament who was brought into one of the most difficult times in the nation of Israel. Nothing but destruction uh, was around him as he was speaking. And, and they believed um, that he would be a major part in, in the church rising up in Israel regaining their ground and their identity as their own people, as God's chosen people. Uh, and then they say, one of the other prophets. And, and now here's what's, here's what's great about it. Okay? They're not like the people that Jesus is, the disciples are talking about, they revere him. And they say, he's like these really great guys that we love. He's like these really great people that, that, that we, we want to be like. In fact, the only people in the Bible that call Jesus of the devil are the church people. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're the ones that are saying, hey, he's, he's not of God, he, he's of the enemy. And so, so we get to see this, and for the most part it seems that the word on the street is that Jesus is very significant. Uh, but as we see in, in hindsight, uh, what, what's happening is, is these people are seeing Jesus dimly lit. Uh, where we get to see him uh, in the full light of day. We get to see every part of it. And, and Jesus was, was never uh, intended uh, to look like someone else. Okay? And, and now in their best efforts, they're like, okay, he, he is like or he is. Okay? And understand that Jesus never comes on the scene to look like someone else. Uh, he is not a mirror reflection of anything other than himself. Okay? And so when they come in, uh, they, they say, we have to understand that Jesus is unique to this story. And, and so what happens next, though, is of great importance because Jesus asks a major question of the disciples. And, and in return this morning, he asks this question of us. So he's asked, what do, who do people say the Son of Man is? As, almost as a way of leading them into this a thought. In verse 15, he says this, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And let's just let that question wash over you just for a moment. Is that, is that a phone? Is that you, is that you Candace? We're letting a question wash over us. 
Let, let, it, let, it, let that question confront you before you even utter a breath of an answer. Jesus comes in and he says, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is, this is the most important question in life. This is the most important question of your, of your life. And you will say, man, I have a lot of important questions. And I'm like, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Where you eat today is really important. You know, but, but this is by far the most important thing you will ever ask. Who do you say that I am? And because everything, because who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. It will. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. What Jesus is doing with his disciples is saying, you are aware of who people say that I am, but what about you? What about you? you you've heard public opinion. You've seen some of the, the uh, detractors. You've heard their uh, opinions, but, but who do you say that I am? And I'm, I'm assuming, okay, not that I was there, right? And not that there's a lot of commentary of in between the lines of like, let me tell you really what's going on here. But I'm assuming that when Jesus asked this question, it must have been a moment where, where there was just awkward silence. Just this moment where, where the question is pondered with the weight that it deserves. And then out of this silence, what we find out is Peter speaks up. Okay? Now, if you've traveled uh, in the Gospels, or if you know much about Peter, uh, he's very much like us. Okay? He has these moments of just great brilliance, uh, where you're like, oh, that's incredible. And then he has these moments where he's like the king of the dingbats. Okay? He opens his mouth, and you're like, what in the world is he thinking? Uh, but, but out of this silence, Peter is going to speak. And, and in this moment, Peter is going to reveal an answer that we all must understand if we are to live forgiven and accepted through the gospel. Okay? He comes in, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, right? And we get the drum roll, please, right? And then it says, you, looking at Jesus, he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Christ just simply means anointed one. You are the chosen one. You are the one, the son of the living God, God who has sent you into this story. Okay, So, so when we refer to uh, Jesus as Jesus Christ in the Bible, we're not referring to him as his last name. His last name isn't Christ. That's his designation of who he is. So he is Jesus, and that's, that's his uh, human name, and then he is Christ. That's the divine name designation of his role in all mankind he is the anointed one and there's this great danger in this world peter says you are the christ the son of the living god and there's this great danger in our world of, of seeing portions of jesus but not him fully and this is this is what we see in part and this is in part what they were seeing, I should say. Uh, they were seeing these pieces and portions of Jesus, right? They, they would say, okay, who is Jesus? Well, I saw him and he was healing people. So he's Jesus, he's a healer. And another person says, well, well I saw him and he was teaching. So he's Jesus, the, the teacher. And then this third person says, oh my gosh, man, you, y'all didn't see nothing. Because when, when I saw him, he performed a miracle. He fed 5,000 people with hardly anything. 
So he's Jesus, the miracle man. And, and, and from that point forward, even into today, we run this danger, this temptation of seeing portions of Jesus and even uh, take these things into greater extremes, uh, imagining Jesus in ways that he was never described of for in, I'm sorry, whatever word I was looking for there, let's just insert that, um, that we have, we have never, he was never intended to be seen as. For instance, we, we in our modern day culture have developed a version of Jesus that, that is really super easy going. He's really like a hippie Jesus, you know, that he just wants everything to be cool and peaceful. You know, he doesn't want to step on your vibes, you know. He just wants you to be happy all the time. Right? No? Yes, that is is somebody. We see this Jesus that people say, uh, he's he's my good buddy. Uh, My my favorite one, I just want to, okay, if you ever say this to me, I'm just telling you, I might ninja punch you in the throat. Um... When, when we, they say Jesus is my co-pilot, you ever say, have you ever said that? I know. You're like, ooh, that's bad. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, you shouldn't. He's not your co-pilot. Right? That, that, that we have this idea, we have a Jesus that looks a lot like the, the genie in Aladdin, right? Who just wants to give you your best life now. And all you got to do is just tell him what you want. And, and the problem with this is, this is a very fitting kind of Jesus if if the intent of your life is the story of you, but, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible, okay? That's not the Jesus that has come to die for your sins and to rescue you, not from your convenience or your comfort. He comes to rescue you from your death in, uh, that, in which you are trapped because of your sin. That's the Jesus. And so, so when Peter comes in and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, this is so incredibly helpful to us. Because we don't have to guess anymore. We don't have to guess who Jesus is. Because who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. And what Peter brings to the front of our hearts here is that Jesus is going, that if Jesus is going to be anyone in your life, he must first be the Christ. He must first be the Son of the living God. And that has to be first, and that has to be foremost. He can't play any secondary role in your life. That's who he is first and foremost. And so that's after all, as strange as this sounds, that's who he claims to be all along. That every moment that we see in the Bible about him healing, every moment we see in the Bible about him teaching. Every moment, every miracle that he performs is for the benefit of those, but it really is for this, this displaying of his credentials. Since no one else can do these things except for the Christ, the Son of the living God. No one else. And so he comes first and foremost in this way. And so, so Peter's role, Peter's response is very fitting And it's really strange to us because we're not used to seeing Peter do these kind of things in the right way. In fact, next week we're going to find out, um, before we're like, oh, Peter really is growing up. Uh, He gets chastised next week by Jesus. It's really uncomfortable, but it's awesome. Um, So verse 17. And Jesus answered him. Okay, he answers Peter. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father... Who is in heaven? 
Okay, so here's what Jesus reveals. He says, he says there's two things at work here. Okay, one of these things are denied. The other thing is revealed. Okay, one of these things is denied in your heart. The other is revealed to your heart. And so let, let's talk about both of these respectively quickly. That Jesus tells Simon Peter that, that he didn't come up with this answer according uh, to his own flesh and blood. That he didn't be like, ah, you know, I think that Jesus is kind of a big deal. I think he is the Christ. He, he doesn't hear about who Jesus is um, from other people. Uh, that, that his heart, and the reason is that nobody can understand this, is because the flesh and blood, uh, as the Bible will say, or your sinful nature, as the Bible will refer to it as, it hates the light. It hates it. It can't see the truth, because it doesn't want to see the truth. Because when it's exposed, it's seen for what it truly is. A horrible God. And so, so here we are, and Jesus comes in, and he says that flesh and blood can't, can't see this. In fact, Paul in the, in the New Testament, he will write at length about the differences of the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. Uh, in fact, he will contrast them many times. Uh, and there are a lot of places we can go, but I would like us to hear this from the mouth of Jesus uh, in John chapter 3. In fact, John chapter 3 has more than just one verse, by the way, just to let you know. Uh, most of us think John chapter 3 is simply this, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, but, but that's verse 16, and a lot of other verses in a chapter. Okay? And one of them is simply this. Verse 19, Jesus comes in, and He says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. I have come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And he says, that's, that's your sinful nature. And so he looks at Peter and he says, that's, that's, why you, that's why you wouldn't say that apart from what's being revealed to you. Okay? So you have this thing that's denied. Your sinful nature has no desire for the things of God. Okay? And now, it might, you might have a desire to be a good person, uh, you might have a desire to be a good neighbor, be a kind uh, friend to other people, but you have no desire for the things of God apart from what is being revealed. And so this is what he says. Um, that, that, and I think this is why, uh, this is the second thing that's being revealed to us, that Jesus explains that God has revealed this truth to Peter. He says, flesh and blood, you can't see it. But God has revealed this to you, that, that no person comes to an understanding of his or her need for Jesus without first being quickened by God to himself. God makes that need known. More accurately, it's, it's his spirit that woos us and draws us into this, this, this eternal romance. And so this is, this is why the question, who do you say that I am, is so important because I can't answer it for you. I can't answer it for you. I can, I can answer it for myself, but I can't answer it for you. you. You can't truly see Jesus if he's allowed in according to the word of another person. Uh, it, it would be like this. I, I can tell you that Jesus is coming. I can call you and say, hey, um, my friend, my co-pilot, never would I say that, um, my, but, but Jesus is coming to your door, and he's going to knock, 
and I just need to let you know, I know you don't know him, but you just let him in. Okay? Now, here's what's the problem with that, is that's not trust in Jesus, that's trust in me. You know who I am, and you, maybe you like me, or maybe you just lump me, or maybe you just come um, into a relationship because you really love Misty and you tolerate this. Okay? But... But if I say, hey, Jesus is coming, um, he kind of looks like this, and he, you know, he will say this thing, and then all of a sudden you just open the door and say, come on in. You're not trusting in Jesus, you're trusting in me. And that's why this question is asked to every single person. And too often, too often we believe, and I think this is the danger of living in the Bible Belt. I'm just going to rant for a second. Because everybody thinks that they're saved. And a lot of people think that they're saved because they've always gone to church. And a lot of people think they're saved because grandma was saved. Um, and she's a really good person. And so surely God's going to let me just kind of ride her coattails into heaven. And that's not the way this works at all. I can tell you about Jesus. I can tell you who He is to me. I can tell you the things that He has done for me. I can tell you the things that I've seen Him do for other people. And that's great and it's magnificent and it's beautiful. And that's my role as a witness. To tell, and that's what, when we talk about evangelism, that's, that's just serving as a witness. I can tell my story from my perspective. But it's not until you experience God that that becomes real for you. And so this is, what, this is what Jesus tells us. That your flesh has no desire for it. But when God reveals it, something powerful happens. In fact, when, when it, what, it, what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, blessed are you. Cherished are you. Bestowed are you. Are you? And so verse 18, this is, we're going we're gonna to kind of walk through this kind of quickly because it's a mess. And I tell you, you are Peter, uh, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's huge. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And the reason being, it's not time. It's not time. There are still things that have to be done. And Jesus will begin referring to that in the next couple of verses. He will tell his disciples some things that are about to happen in Jerusalem and why they must happen. But he says, don't tell anybody I'm the Christ yet. But though I am, don't let that out. And so, so what we have, though, is, is verses 18 and 19. And, and I've read... I, I read about eight to nine, uh, eight or nine commentaries this week, and again, it's it's really interesting to see um, just the confusion of of how eighteen and nineteen are are brought into our picture. Um, and so, many many people I think misinterpret what's being said, and there's great debate between both denominations and theologians uh, as to their meaning. And I think, for instance, uh, the, there's confusion uh, in verse eighteen as to uh, what Jesus means when he says, uh, on this rock I will build my church. Uh, because, uh, namely, the question is, what's the church built on? And, 
And so some people will say uh, Peter, uh, his name sounds really similar to the word rock, uh, meaning Petros. Uh, and so what he says is this is a, you, Peter, are a little rock. Uh, and then he uses a big word. He says, but on this rock I will build my church. And this is where the Roman Catholics tend to believe uh, that Peter is the first pope, uh, that Jesus just gave him all of the authority um, to, to be the mediator uh, between them, between man and God. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe that is the case. And I think, uh, so the, I think we have to deal with the question, what is, what is the church built on? Is it, is it on Peter? Is it on Jesus? Is it on the apostles? Is it on the gospel? And the answer to all of that is yes. So let me, let me explain that, that sometimes the issue is confusing because when we read the Bible, there's different metaphors that are used uh, specifically in the New Testament to describe the church. Uh, for example, Paul will be writing and he, will, he calls Jesus the foundation in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, he calls him the rock in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, he calls him the cornerstone in Ephesians chapter 2. But then in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, right before, he will say uh, that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. And he said, well, which is it? And he says, yes. In fact, he will even refer to himself as uh, a skilled master builder in relationship to the church. And these, these various metaphors are used to make different points. And so, so given the variety, we need to understand uh, Matthew 16 in light of the context, right? In light of what Jesus has been saying this whole time, what Peter is revealing, and what we know uh, is that the point that Jesus is making is this, that Peter's means little rock. Uh, and so there's a bit of, of, of a wordplay here that Jesus is using. And in essence, Jesus is saying, I tell you, you, you are a little rock, and on this big rock, I'm going to build my church. And so Jesus acknowledges then some, some form of foundation being found in Peter. Uh, that, that by God's grace alone, uh, Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He is the, the living uh, Son of God. And, and it's immediately after this confession that Jesus spoke of the church, which is the first reference to the church, by the way, uh, in, in the Gospels. Uh, and, and so he's building upon... Peter's confession of faith. Therefore, the, based on the immediate context, this is how I think we should be able to wear these words, that, that we should understand that the rock of the church is simply the, the people of God proclaiming the gospel of God. That, that Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's what we build this church on. We don't build it on anything else but this. The proclamation of of the gospel of Christ. And, and as the church proclaims the gospel, Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, uh, which has twofold. Uh, and really, this, this phrase is a Jewish idiom, idiom um, for the power of death. It says that, that death cannot stop the Messiah. Uh, just like uh, for Jonah, that Jesus would rise from the dead in victory over the grave. That, that it's, it's, it's not only Jesus who won't be stopped. Death won't stop what Jesus has accomplished. And then, then we get to verse 19. And the words binding and loosing 
on heaven and earth's surface and all kinds of, of errant ideas and practices come out of this. Uh, because because people will walk around claiming to bind this or to bind that object or to bind that that uh, demon in the name of Jesus and or to loose uh, certain relationships or to lose certain opportunities and and they will um, they will misunderstand and I think considering the context here is, is helpful that what when Peter or the other apostles or any follower of Christ for that matter proclaims the gospel. Jesus says, I give you that authority to do that. You proclaim the gospel under my authority. So, so they don't have to take your word for it. They can take my word for it. Uh, they can take the word of God as truth, that his authority is to save sinners and to judge sinners. And so Jesus' authority to save means that, that we, can, we can say to any person in the world, if you turn from your sin and you turn toward Christ, you can be saved. And equally, if you choose to live outside of that relationship with God through Christ, there is a very real and a very um, promised destination that you would spend the rest of your life apart from God in hell. That, that those are the things that have been afforded to us in Christ. That we have that, that so that this is a guarantee based on the authority of Christ and His Word. And so at the same time, you, you, we can help people see the answer to the most important question they will ever ask. That authority has been entrusted to the church to proclaim this message. That Christ comes to save and if He is not your Lord and Savior, then you will. there is no possible way to be saved apart from Him. That's the message. And Jesus says, you can walk in the authority that I've given you as the church to bind that and to loose that here on heaven and on earth. And this, I think this should be. This should be the driving force of every church. And it must be the driving force of this one. That proclaiming the gospel so that those who are far from God may, can find their life in Christ. This should come long before we promote any programs. This should come long before we promote any activity, before we turn on a laser for a worship service, or we land a 747 on a stage. That is, first and foremost, the thrust of the church. That Jesus is who He says He is. And He's done what He says He will do. And because of that, the application of Peter's declaration is that Jesus says some words about the church. It's pretty simple that, that once we see Jesus for who he is, we become part of what he is doing. So he says the church. In fact, he uses a word called ecclesia. Uh, and, and, and the idea is simply this, that because we are a community of people who know Jesus intimately, we can proclaim Jesus confidently and we can obey him sacrificially. That's what we get to do. We, we, we know Him intimately. We proclaim Him confidently. We obey Him sacrificially. But, but let's, not, let's not confuse our focus this morning. Because we see uh, Jesus more clearly when we recognize who He really is. And we recognize what He has really done. So we, we can start wrapping this up. And some of you are like, finally. Alright? So let, let's, let's wrap up this way. I'm going to ask you a question. I think you kind of know what it is at this point, right? 
And I want you to slow down, and I want you to ask yourself this, this really important question. I want you to listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 16 as he asks, Who do you say I am? And if you say he is Christ, he is the living Son of God, I want you to, to ask some follow-up questions. Has, has God done this for me? Or am I using the experience of another person? How did he do it? What was it like in my experience when God revealed to me that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And then lastly, what, what difference has it made in my life that, that God the Father has revealed to me the true glory of His Son, Jesus? Because if... I'm just, I'm just going to let you know this. If, if you say, I know Jesus personally, and yet He doesn't move you in any possible way, you don't know Jesus personally. And my guess is that, that many of you are sitting here and you're like, okay, I can't answer those questions in that way. I've never thought about my conversion in those terms. Um, and and I, would, I would give you a moment to say, okay, don't panic. You're, some of you are okay, all right? Some of you are okay. Uh, because every person who's been converted to Christ, every person who has asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior is converted based on this very limited understanding of the scope of what's happening. Okay? That, that, that one person might say, well, I, I believed on Jesus. Another might say, I prayed to receive Christ. Another might say, I confessed Jesus at a summer camp, uh, and then the next year, and then the next year, and the next year, and eventually I felt like it took. Right? Another might say, I was born again. Another might say, I was crucified with Christ, and now I, I walk by faith. Or maybe there's some other version that you say, some other line. And every person who has ever been converted to Christ was converted based on this very limited understanding of what's really happening. And that's part of the beauty of the journey. It's because as you pursue Christ more and more and more, you get to see more and more and more of the depth of His incredible love for you. You get to see spotlighted the, the, the gravity of your sinfulness and his willingness to walk right into that moment and say, that's mine now. That's what we get to see. So, but, but this is the threshold that, that I want us to come to this morning. That, that if you're sitting here and you're trying to answer that question that Jesus asked us this morning, who do you say that I am? And your answer doesn't begin with you are my and then you fill in that blank. Here's what I'm here to tell you. You don't know Christ. You know of Him. Because Christ has always come to be a personal Savior. And so if you can't answer that question by saying, He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my great treasure. He is my. He is mine. And I am His then you have no relationship with Him. You know of Him. And that's the tragedy of the church today. Because we walk 
And we live believing we know Him, but we don't. We just know what He's supposed to look like. And so we look like Him. But He's not ours. So this is that question. Who do you say that I am? And I pray that that would tether itself to you. Because who we say that Jesus is affects everything about how we follow Him. That's true. That's true. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. I want to pray with you guys today. If you need prayer, we we have some people available. Colby and, and Heather and Misty, they're going to be up here. And let me just say this. If you don't have an answer for that question, who do you say that Jesus is? And you say, I don't know. Let, let, me, let me tell you real quickly who he is. Your sin, no matter how big it was, or how small you believe it to be, separated you from God. God is holy and He is just. And He says, no sin is in my presence. and will not tolerate it. So our relationship was severed. And what we needed was a way to restore what was broken. So in the Old Testament, God gave us the law. And He gave us sacrifices. And He says, this is This is a placeholder. This is going to bridge the gap momentarily until the ultimate sacrifice can come. And out of His great love for you, He sent Jesus into your sin, which is you. You were entangled to it. You were were held down by it. It defined you. And Jesus comes in, and He lays His life down for you. He shows us how to walk in holiness, lays down his life for you, comes back to life three days later, and ascends to the Father. So that he can be our sacrifice. And so he takes what was broken and repairs it. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through him. And you say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Well, probably not. But it's the way that it is. The fact that God gave us even one iota of a step in His direction was more than we deserve. So He sends Jesus. And the Christian confession is simply this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I pray that You would come be both Savior and Lord of my life. You would rescue me and You would lead me. That I would no longer live for me, but I would live for You. And it says, upon that confession of faith, we are saved. And you want to talk about getting the good end of that deal. We did. So if that's you this morning, I want you to hear that question. Who do you say that I am? And if you feel in your spirit that I am not, that you are not mine and I am not yours, I would beg you to consider it's today that day of salvation for you. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for these people. I thank you for this church that you've allowed us to be a part of and we get to adventure with. And, and I pray that your gospel would be first and foremost in our minds, that it would direct us, that it would move us, that it would shape us. Father, I pray this morning that we would see your Son very clearly in these final few moments. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said...